Okay, if you'd like to take your seats. It's always a privilege to hear David bring God's word to us. So um, I wonder if you can give a warm welcome to my office mate. Good morning. Oh, hello. That seems to be working. So that's good news. Um, More what? (laughs) Thank you. Um, So um, I'm trying a different way of doing my notes, put it on my phone rather than anything else. And I don't know whether that will work or not, so we'll see. If it's worse, then we'll go back to a different way, try something different. Um, So um, um, we've just started a new series, um, which I believe is called Being Being a Mission-Minded Community, although I didn't make it last week, so... Graham might have spoken about something completely different. Um, So um, I hope you made it last time. Um, This week we're going to be looking at building community um, uh, and loving one another. Um, Now, I found a quote that um, is actually based on a video uh, of uh, Canon J. John, who's quite a funny man, and he described the church like this. um, A global enterprise with outlets in nearly every country in the world, running hospitals, Hospices, homeless shelters, orphanages, feeding programs, educational programs, marriage courses, undertaking justice and reconciliation work. He says it basically looks after people from birth to death and deals in the area of behavioural alteration. Um, he's much more funny at sharing that, but it, it is quite a, um, a good way of describing the church, although he'll be the first to admit that the analogy isn't perfect. And actually, it's not a particularly biblical way of looking at what the church is. It kind of summarizes the things that the church has done over the last centuries um, and even today. So what is the church? Well, when we talk about church being the community, what we need to look at really what the church is and what it isn't. So what we believe the church isn't is it isn't just a building. It isn't a denomination or a sect. It isn't a club you can join. It's not a group of people who meet occasionally because they like the same music or they're friends or they enjoy the same social activity. And it definitely isn't perfect. But we do believe that the church is the body of Christ. It says that in Colossians 1.18 and 1 Corinthians 12.27. We're made up of varied parts under one head, that is Jesus. We're joined together worldwide but we're also locally expressed. And it includes all ages, social types and people. You can see that in Galatians 3.28. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's no perfect church. You won't find that Jubilee is perfect and you won't find another church in the city that's perfect or anywhere else, to be honest. And if you are looking for a perfect church, you might as well give up right now. You're not going to find it. And as someone said, if you do find the perfect church, don't join it, you'll ruin it. Um, (laughs) So um, the grass is always or always looks greener on the other side, but somebody else added to this, you still have to take care of it when you get to the other side. A pastor named Zach Nazarian said this, the presence of a deficiency or a problem in the local church is not in and of itself a reason to leave. 
Every church has its problems. What's the real issue? Well, it's this. Does the problem or the deficiency prohibit my ability to be part of a mutually edifying community? Or does it, in reality, have nothing to do with it? Is that problem going to inhibit my growth and my ability to serve? Or is it just a bit of brush fire on the side? Is it critical to my spiritual growth or the growth of others? Or is it insignificant? Am I making a mountain out of a molehill? That seemed really wise uh, in terms of how we decide where God's called us to be. So we've said that the church is the body of Christ. And actually that means that our unity as a people comes from our oneness with Christ. That's the thing that makes us united. It's because of our relationship with Jesus that we are, in effect, related to one another. In simple, in simple terms, this means that if we see ourselves as Christ's brother or sister, which is what the New Testament teaches us, then we also become brother and sister of one another. And although this analogy is true and amazing, it doesn't really share the full marvel of what this oneness in Christ means. When we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, we are united to everything that is in Christ. Everything that Christ is is shared with us up until his Godhead. Everything apart from that is shared with us. That's amazing. And we could probably sit down right now, but um, some of you might want me to. But um, I'm going to keep going. The local church is a community of Christians, and we are meant to live as on the ground, the on-the-ground expression of the supremacy of Jesus by advancing the gospel in distance and depth. We're a privileged people as the body of Christ, and we have been given a commission that will not fail. We've been promised, or it's promised that we will be fruitful and multiply. The church isn't just a body of people, but it's the way that God demonstrates his power to a watching world. When we understand the depth of what this teaching means, the church isn't just another accessory in our lives, but the thing that our lives are really about. We realise that our being part of this community, of this church, is the most important thing about who we are. The Christians in the New Testament weren't just a bunch of individuals that were isolated from one another, doing their best to be faithful to Jesus' teaching. They were a community because they had unity with Jesus. It was because of their faith in him that made them a community. The first Christians regularly gathered and we are called to gather and express our unity in Jesus as well. And that's an essential part of who we are, an essential part of the Christian faith. Our unity expressed in community, not as disparate groups, as it were, of isolated people. That's what we're meant to be as a community, together. So the, the main aspect of what this teaching is about is loving one another. And it's a vital aspect of growing a true community, not just being friends or being identified as friends, but being a community that really loves one another. Jesus actually said that this would mark us out as his disciples when we get it right, when we get that love right, 
it will mark us out. It says that in John 13, 34 to 35. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus is really serious about this, about his followers loving one another. He's so serious, he commands it. It's a new command, he says. It's not just a suggestion. It's not for when we feel like it. It's a command we need to obey. Christians are known as people that are meant to love one another, but so often we get that wrong. This teaching comes up so often, actually, and that's not just because it's a good ideal or something to aspire to. It's something we're directly commanded to do by Jesus. He didn't leave it to chance. It's not you should love one another when you feel like it. It's you must love one another. It's challenging. And then Jesus says, if that wasn't challenging enough, as I have loved you, you must love one another. So it's not love as much as you can or the way you express love the best. Love in that way. It's not love those you find easy to love. He commanded us, love the way I love you. And that just takes it to a whole other level. It's not the fireworks, big bang sort of love. It's not Hollywood hot pink love. It's not the love that feels emotion but is fickle and only lasts a moment. It's the kind of love we all long for as humans. It's enduring love. It stands the test of time. It weathers storms. It overcomes obstacles. And it's there when disaster strikes. It's at the door with a bag of shopping. It's visiting and praying when you're sick. It's a love that knows when you're weak and helps you through those situations and to overcome that weakness. It sees the best in you. It's a love that challenges you when you need it, but also knows when actually all you really need is a hug or a hand over the shoulder or a card of encouragement. It's a love that encourages others to keep pressing on even through the slog of life. It's the kind of love that we see when life has been hard that brings comfort and encouragement, that wipes the tear rather than runs away. It's not just emotion, but an action. So how are you doing with this? Are you loving like Jesus encouraged us to love? Are we caring? Are you caring in simple, useful ways? Is there someone in your community, in your small group, that you could love and support? Are you quick to show love and to demonstrate it? Maybe you don't know what to do. Well, um, a couple of examples. Babysitting so that parents can have a date night or so that a single parent can have time out or out with friends. It's paying a bill for somebody when they haven't got any money left. It's staying over with a friend in hospital after their operation. It's cooking a meal for that struggling family in your small group. Or maybe it's helping someone with their weekly shop. It's not an exhaustive list, but they're just examples of things that show love to others. Jesus said that we would stand out because of our love for one another. It will set us apart. It was true then, and it's still true now. The reason it's still true now is that our culture is keen to tear people down, it's, keen to red, it's quick to ridicule, it's fickle, 
in love. Many see the church as a cold building where people attend because of duty at weddings, christenings and funerals. Or because people feel unworthy or they need a crutch for a character flaw. The world should find a community that cares, that loves, that has each other's backs, that's serious about going the extra mile and trying to outdo each other in love, care and devotion for one another. It's so much more than just a bunch of random people turning up at the same time to the same place. And this kind of community doesn't happen by accident. It's not something that just kind of happens when you turn up somewhere. You have to build it. You need to seek to build it. You need to spend time with each other. To be able to love like this, we kind of have to be in each other's lives because we need to see where those gaps are and, and help one another with them. And to do this, we need to care well for one another. Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but it's those that, who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's Mark 2:17. Good care is the result of good community. It's the result of a community that loves and cares for one another. The church was never meant to be a museum for saints. It was meant to be a hospital for sinners. We're all being transformed from one degree of glory to another, the Bible says. We're all on a journey of faith to one destination. And at different times, we'll all need care and the love of one another. Our strength and the strength of our care and for each other comes from our community. It should flow from spending time together, knowing each other's needs and meeting them as well as we can. This is a challenge for any church community. Is the welfare of others of more importance than the size of our bank balance? Do we care for one another enough to forego something that we might otherwise be able to afford so that others might be blessed? Tim Keller says, there is no way you will be able to grow spiritually apart from a deep involvement in a community of other believers. And it's our desire as a church, as Jubilee, not to be a pampering station that fulfills all the needs of everybody all the time, but to be somewhere where people are cared for, where they're restored, where they're sent out on mission to the ends of the street or the ends of the earth. We want to care well for people, and that's not by building a religious structure on a military scale that has the approachability of a sergeant major. It's somewhere where broken people can be made whole in community and on mission together. Amen. Our heart behind this is, to love, is our love for one another and our desire to see God's best intention fulfilled in each other's lives. For some people, this will be really straightforward. And for others, it will take time, dedication, and hard work. Sometimes we'll end up going backwards with people, and that can be frustrating. But Jesus must have felt those same frustrations with his disciples. And we see that often in, in, the, in the Gospels. that They just didn't understand where he was coming from. They didn't see what he meant. I know in my own walk with God that it isn't always pressing forward. 
more often than not, it feels a bit like round and round the mulberry bush where you just keep learning the same thing again and again and wishing that you'd learn it the first time round because it had been easier because it had been less important the first time. But being grateful to God that actually he's still gracious and still loves me, whatever my performance is like at any given moment. As we care well for each other and seek one another's best, as we ask God to show us his heart for the broken, Jesus says that when we get that right, when we get that love right, everyone will know that we are following him. The way that we love shows people outside of our community looking in that we love Jesus. If people don't see our love, they won't see him. They won't see Jesus. True community, Driscoll says, is a gift of God and a practical outworking of his intention and design for us. Broken by sin, Jesus makes real community possible through the cross. Therefore, gospel-centered community is more than a place to simply connect. Rather, it's a tangible proclamation of the power of the gospel. Now, Care in our community isn't just for the appointed leaders. It's not just for the elders or the pastoral team or life group leaders or anybody with a title. It's for everybody. Care is for all of us. We are all part and we all have a part to play. Jesus, uh, the Gospels use analogy that we are all part of the body. And when one suffers, all suffer. When one part is in pain, the rest of us will eventually feel that. And our care for one demonstrates God's love for us all. Kat and I were talking recently about a study that we saw, I think probably on Facebook, but I think it also was on Radio 4, that children raised in non-religious households were often kinder and more altruistic than from religious backgrounds. What we found most concerning about that was that it's counter to popular understanding of what faith should produce in children or in the next generation. Now, after looking a bit further into this, actually, the way that they did the investigation, the science behind it, was a bit flawed, and actually, you couldn't draw a clear conclusion either way, um, apparently. Uh, so, but still, that headline is, is a concerning headline. It's worrying that current primary and secondary age children brought up in a religious household are more likely to be judgmental, more likely to seek justice than to show grace, more likely to be selfish than generous. The challenge for us, for our children, and for those children in our community, is what are they learning from our lives, from the way we love, from the way we serve one another? Are they learning to be religiously observant? Are they learning religiosity? Are they learning judgmental attitudes and a lack of grace? Or do they see devotion to one another, love and grace for each other? Are we generous and gracious when wronged? Are we quick to forgive and show mercy to each other? If not, if all they see is the opposite, then how are our children going to demonstrate love themselves? How are they going to show that love that, that we believe God has given us? It's not just for us who are parents in the room. It's for all of us to show and demonstrate God's love. John, 1 John 4, 7 to 8 um, is very clear. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. I learned that passage from a song which I believe was sung by and written by Salty, the singing songbook, which some of you may remember. Uh, and it came up in my head as I was writing that last phrase. Um, and it's literally that song is that passage in, in its entirety. Um, and it just does a little revolve. Um, so it just such a powerful verse from John there. So Jubilee isn't perfect, as I've already said, and the main reason for that is because we're in it and we're not perfect. And however hard we try and wherever we are with God, it's still possible for us to mess things up, to say the wrong thing, whether it's because we're angry or tired or careless. It's easy to put our foot right in it and to cause offence to people. To build a loving community, we need to learn to forgive each other and be quick about it. Bill Hybels writes, you can tell a lot about a person by what they do after they've been wronged. It's really easy to fly off the handle, to react badly in retaliation or seek revenge because of what someone said or done. Actually, it's natural. And the more we're wronged, the more natural it is that we might do something stupid and we might regret that later. Time and good counsel can help and eventually appropriately and honestly, we can forgive another person. Hopefully you won't have gone through it, but some of you will have had in the past a shattering loss or a betrayal in your life where your whole world comes out of kilter, almost like a brick tower that's been toppled sideways and fallen on the ground and you know who it was that kicked it over. And it's easy to find stories of betrayal um, in the news or in soap operas. What's more uncommon is to find a story of someone strong enough to forgive such a betrayal. I pray that we won't find these sorts of situations in our community, but it might happen. And maybe you've had such a moment in your life in the past and you might still be reeling from it. In my story, in my, when I was younger, I had something like that and it still affects me right now. And you have to be really courageous and resist retaliation. But with God's help, it is possible to forgive. Lewis Smeads wrote, When you release the wrongdoer from the wrong, you cut a malignant tumor. Tumor? Tumor. I'll start again. When you release the wrongdoer from the wrong, you cut a malignant tumor out of your inner life. You set a prisoner free, but you discover that the real prisoner was you. That's true in my life, and I've heard others say, too, that unforgiveness almost eats away at them. It's as forgiveness takes hold that the bitterness leaves and an unexpected release comes. That's not to say that forgiveness is an easy thing, and it may often be the hardest thing to do. But in the long term, forgiveness is the only way to cut out a bitter spirit. It's the only way to find peace or, greater, or a greater sense of honouring God in our lives. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Gary Chapman writes, Forgiveness is a decision to offer grace instead of demanding justice for a wrong. 
Yet forgiveness does not destroy memory or consequences. It does not rebuild trust automatically, and it may not necessarily produce reconciliation. When Jesus was asked about forgiveness, he shows his true understanding of our nature. It says in Matthew 18, 21 to 22, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Peter's answer to his own question would have seemed like a really good one. Seven times is the perfect number uh, to the Jewish people. It, it basically represents infinity. And Jesus' contemporary rabbis would have encouraged their followers to forgive people around three times. So Peter's answer would have seemed quite impressive to his audience, or at least the people around him. Jesus totally exceeds it. He says 77 times. Jesus basically means that our forgiveness should be unlimited. Forgiveness is a decision, a choice, and it's a choice that we continue to make. It's a decision to offer grace instead of demanding the right justice for the wrongs that have been committed. We are to forgive so that we may enjoy God's goodness without feeling the weight of anger burning deep within our hearts. Forgiveness does not mean we recant the fact that what happened to us was wrong. Instead, we roll our burdens onto the Lord and allow him to carry them for us. That's Charles Stanley. Because we're commanded to forgive, I believe that God will give us the resource, the resources or the ability to forgive. Because as we're commanded to, it, to do it, it's as much by faith as seeking God for healing or, or seeking salvation, coming to Jesus for salvation. It's as much a gift of faith. Forgiveness is totally against our human nature and sometimes we'll have to do it whether we feel like it or not. We'll have to trust God to do the work in us for forgiveness to be completed. But when we choose to forgive, especially when it's against our own feelings, God will honour our faith. If we commit to forgive others, to please God and to follow his commands, he will complete the work in us as we continue to choose to forgive every day. Someone once said, forgiveness always seems so easy when we need it and so hard when we need to give it. And if forgiveness is something that you're struggling with today or it's something that brings up emotions from the past or you're struggling through at the moment, we'd love to pray with you and talk it through with you at the end. Charles Spurgeon wrote this, to be forgiven is such sweetness that honey is tasteless in comparison with it. But yet there is one thing sweeter still, and that is to forgive. As it is more blessed to give than to receive, so to forgive raises a stage higher in experience than to be forgiven. Now, the last thing I want to look at is our culture. That we, it's often said that we live in a culture that is consumeristic, where 
our social standing, the values that we have, the activities that we undertake are all centered around the consumption of goods and services. It's a big part of our lives and our value, and we can be defined by and around our consumption of things. We're completely surrounded by this kind of culture from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed. The majority of us will be bombarded by adverts for products and they'll try and convince us that we really need this thing that they're advertising, that they'll complete us, uh, or that they'll solve some new problem we didn't realize we had until we watched the advert that suddenly realized that we need this thing to solve all the problems in our lives. Um, this, this can happen when we're watching telly, surfing the net, looking at Facebook. More often than not, we'll see an advert. And actually, even if you don't like watching live TV and would prefer to watch on-demand content, even those things have got products specifically in them. You'll see the I'm a Mac or I'm a Windows uh, thing, if, depending on which version of CSI or whatever it is you're watching. So you can't even escape it there. Or they're just in the background and people have these nice cars that sort of, for some reason, keep appearing and driving past and they have nothing to do with the programme whatsoever. It's crept in everywhere and it's crept into the church. We come for what we get, not what we can give. We expect everything to be done for us, not that we will contribute at all. And if we feel like this, we miss the point. We each play a part like a body. If one part doesn't work, the whole body will eventually feel it. We're constantly fed this idea that everything must fit me. And how could this idea therefore not impact us as a church? We choose a church because they sing the songs they like or they worship the way I want to. And I can do what I choose and the children are taught in a way that I approve. When this idea is applied to faith, and church, we measure or rate it on how quickly the church satisfies our needs. The choice is not what God can do with us here, but what can I get here? Worship becomes a leisure activity where we receive and don't expect to give anything. And therefore entertainment is required and boredom is unacceptable. Church must entertain us. It's got to itch where we scratch. There's got to be comfy seats. We're doing okay with that. Uh, there's got to be good lighting. There needs to be an excellent band. We've, we've got that. And um, if the preacher isn't entertaining and doesn't keep us awake, um, then uh, that's, that's not where we want to be. But also, we don't want to be challenged. We don't actually want to have to do something. We can almost say the phrase, oh no, I'm just here to be entertained, to consume. Commitment then becomes superficial. When things don't go our way, oh, we'll just go somewhere else, I'll shop somewhere else. If I don't like the experience, I can choose to go somewhere else. And to a certain extent, that's true and healthy, but it's not really a pattern we see in the New Testament. So how do we counter this culture for instant gratification, for instant news, for instant updates. We combat it by serving one another, by loving one another, by looking out for each other's needs and for seeking to, by seeking to serve one another. We love one another in a way that sees a gap and fills it. The early church... Sorry, my notes just did something weird. 
now I need to find them again. The early church was a church that serves, that served, sorry. We do not earn our salvation by serving. Serving is the natural outworking of our thanks and gratitude to God. So are you serving? Are you seeking to use the gifts that God has given you for the good of his church and the advancement of his kingdom? One area that we talked about just last week was our children's work. We don't provide a children and youth work at Jubilee just so that we can get on with the real business of church here in the adult meeting without interruptions. We do have a fantastic group of leaders that give time, energy and resources to, to teach our children. They invest for the future and they're glad to do it. They do it with great joy. But we shouldn't take that for granted. We're a community together, young and old. We should and need to serve one another. And love one another, not just by saying it, not just by encouraging one another, but by demonstrating it as well. And this team needs our support and our encouragement. Have you considered joining them? Maybe you, have, you don't have children at that age. Maybe you do. If you do, you've got a vested interest in that. But some of us won't have had children at all or don't have children. It could still be an area that God is calling you to serve in. So how are you serving? Many of you already do. Where do you feel God has called you to serve? Are you pursuing it or has it been on the back burner? Sometimes we won't actually know we're called till, some, till we step out and try something new. Sometimes we won't be aware that God has said this is something we should do until we've tried it. Sometimes it will feel like we're jumping out of a boat into, into turbulent waters. But actually... It's just that step of faith, knowing that God will catch us. We just need to step out. So in closing, what have we looked at this morning? We're the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. And our unity as a people comes because of our oneness with him. We're not just a group of people. We are the way in which God demonstrates his power to a watching world. When we grasp the depth of this teaching, we won't simply see the church as another accessory in our lives, but what our lives are really about. We'll realise that our being part of the church is the most important thing about us. What does it mean to really love one another? How do we do that? What people should find when they join us on a Sunday morning or in our midweek groups is a community that cares loves and has each other's backs. It's a community that's really serious about going the extra mile for one another and trying to outdo one another in the love, care and the devotion we show one another. We've talked about caring for one another. It's our desire as a church not just to be a pampering station which fulfills everyone's needs all the time, but somewhere where broken people are cared for, restored and sent out on mission together to the ends of the street and the ends of the earth. And what do we really need to be able to do? We need to learn to forgive one another. We need to be a people who are quick to forgive one another. We are to forgive so that we may enjoy God's goodness without feeling the weight of anger burning deep in our hearts. Forgiveness doesn't mean we recant the fact that what happened to us was wrong. Instead, we roll our burdens onto the Lord and allow him to carry them for us.
So that's where we've, what we've talked about today. I'd love to be able to pray for people this morning, if they'd like that. Obviously, one of the big things is forgiveness that, that came out. And I'd love to be able to pray with you if you feel like you need areas in your life where you need to forgive people or yourself. We'd love to start that process with you. And for some, that will happen and end today. And others, it will be a thing that you work through and continue to work through. I know that Rachel had something this morning that I think fits into that, or at least I was told it did. So um, I think if Rachel, you can come and get ready to share that. The other thing is, have you been challenged to care and serve? And what are you going to do differently? How are you going to reach out? Maybe write that thing down that you felt this morning. Put it in your diary to remind you next week when this talk is a distant memory. And how are you going to counter that consumerism? If you feel that culture of consumerism has invaded your walk with God, what steps are you going to take to counter it? One of them could be to come down and ask someone to pray with you. Do you need to reassess relationships where you only give, or sorry, you only give or only take? So what I meant there was, if, you're, if you have relationships around you where you're only giving and only giving and only giving, you need to find other relationships where, you're, where you can receive too, at the very least. Do you need to bring balance to your life? Or are there relationships where you only take out and you actually need to learn to put some stuff back in? Do you need to bring balance to your life in the area of relationships? So there's those three things, really. Rachel, do you want to bring that? And then I think we're going to, the band hopefully have got a song that we can use to respond and then we can pray for people. Yeah, it was just earlier when we were singing about the rain coming that I really thought, I don't like rain. I don't like rain. I don't like rain because it puts muddy footprints down my nice laminate floors and it make, ruins your hair, especially if you've straightened it. And I thought, and it gets in your shoes. And I thought, I don't like rain. And yet we were singing about the rain coming. And I just really felt that there are, there are people that don't want God's rain to come. And I don't mean it as definite as that. But actually, it probably might be messy. It could perhaps be painful and bring up stuff from the past. And actually, I'm clinging on by a thread here. And I'm just about keeping my head above water. And I just really felt that God would say, that actually if you surrender that and let go and let him lead, that there'll be breakthrough in that area that you have been struggling with or just barely clinging on and getting by. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to sing the last song, but if anything David said this morning or what Rachel's just brought, just you know that God's speaking to you, then please, we'd love to pray for you down the front. <laughs> The way it happens, just come down the front here and some guys and girls from the church will come down and just gather around you and just lay hands on you. So there's no pressure. If, you, if we're going to sing the song and no one comes down, then please join us for a cup of tea and coffee out the back. Thank you very much for coming. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Sunday morning.